to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel lesson that we just heard a few moments ago is kind of a harsh one. It's not the one that we like to um, memorize and then repeat at, at certain occasions such as um, anniversaries or birthday parties or graduation parties. It is a message that was dear to Jesus' heart, however, the forgiveness issue. You see, from the beginning, Jesus knew that he came into this world to bring about not just words of forgiveness, but the reality of it. Jesus came to give his life, his mortal life in his walking talking, preaching, miracle-working days as a demonstration of the power of God. But then on the cross, in his vulnerability as he was put to death, he carried with us, all of, with him, all of our sins, and he gave his life to say, this is how much God wishes to forgive you. Forgiveness. When he was asked, how often should I forgive someone that sins against me in the church? The church, whoa. Those were the very budding, the very beginning days of the church, unless you count the Jewish synagogue. Maybe that's what Peter was considering. But he said, should I forgive them? Are we bound to forgive people as many as seven times for the same sin? And Jesus said, and it was a metaphorical way of saying, no, you got to forgive them always. He said 77 times. That's a lot. That kind of goes beyond even memory, memory, remembering how someone offended us or did something we didn't like. By the time you've forgiven them 77 times, you've pretty much buried that memory of transgression out of sight for the rest of your life. By that time, they will have done something else that you have to forgive 77 times. Jesus used language, and he he used language in a way to to dramatize a point. As you know, he he loved to speak in parables, which was to, to tell a story. We just sang a hymn. I love to tell the story. Well, Jesus told stories that demonstrated to whoever heard him something that was of profound importance for their life. And he tried to do it in a way that they would remember. If it was just like a student having to take notes in class on a lecture, a dry and and boring lecture perhaps, but having to account for it later, you know, you'd have to have 
pencil and paper or pen and paper or today I suppose in the universities they record or transcribe it. In those days they didn't have that. And so the stories stayed with them. But another nice thing about the stories that Jesus told was that people could take that story and divine a truth out of it that was particularly applicable to their own life, to their own needs. You may be sitting next to someone who's very special to you, very dear and a, a tried and true friend that you have so much in common with, but they can hear the same story and glean something very different as it applies to their life. And that's why Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus used the stories, it was a memorable way of getting a point across, but it was also a way that could be very specific to an individual's circumstances. He used colorful language. The reality is he, he preached in a language called Aramaic, which is a dead language, kind of like Latin. And some of you, did any of you ever take Latin in school? Ah, yes. And you can probably still recite some of the Latin that you learned in school, right, Angel? There you go. Or in my case, Ego Wexilo Unitorum Statum Americae Acre Publicae Quam Referred Ipsum Fidelitatum Woeo Uninationi Sub Deo. In Dewi Sibili, cum libertate atque justitia omnibus. I can give, you maybe think, huh? What's that? Well, I can give away a big clue. I had a first hour Latin class. And when I learned to say that, I learned to say it with my hand over my heart. Oh, the Pledge of Allegiance, of course, which makes me the life of any party that I go to. colorful language. Um, we aren't supposed to be good at insulting people, but sometimes it it feels good. I, I had collected a few insults from famous people, and I thought I'd share a few with you at this point in time. Um, a clever man named Walter Kerr uh, describing someone said he had delusions of adequacy as opposed to grandeur I think Winston Churchill the great statesman from England said he has all the virtues I dislike and none of the vices I admire that's something I wish I had been quoted as saying. You know, Clarence Darrow, the famous lawyer, said, I have never killed a man, but I have read many obituaries with great pleasure. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, some of you remember him, 16th President of the United States, was quoted as saying, he can compress the most words into the smallest idea of any man I know. Think about it. Those are the days of long speeches. 
Oscar Wilde, the famous playwright, was quoted as saying, he has no enemies, but is intensely disliked by his friends. And again, Oscar Wilde said, some cause happiness wherever they go, others, whenever they go. Yeah. Or Billy Wilder said, he has Van Gogh's ear for music. And I, one of my very favorite quotations from that, that wonderful philosopher, Groucho Marx, who said, I've had a perfectly wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes our lifestyle and our ways of looking at things can get pretty entrenched. And that's not to say, however, that we're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes we're more than comfortable with, with some of the things that are not so noble. I had a parishioner once upon a time. We were in a conversation about possible new programs in the church, new ideas. This is a very traditional church. And uh, and I remember how Garney said to me, Pastor, I guess I have to admit that I'm in a rut. And it's a deep rut. And I like it there. In other words, let's not talk about changing things. Things are just fine. And I'm sure she's not alone. Jesus was inviting us, not, not just inviting us, but encouraging us, or Peter, through Peter, he was the conduit by which this came to us today, uh, to forgive, to get things off our shoulders. And I remember a a time when we were replacing a a linoleum floor in a church basement a long time ago. And it was a tedious chore, but there was this this adhesive. It was kind of nasty, kind of grayish stuff, and it smelled kind of foul. And it really stuck to you. I mean, you had to be really careful because it didn't just end up on the trowel that you were using or the bottom of those linoleum tiles, but it stuck to you, and it was a challenge to get it off of your fingers and forget it if it got into your clothes. That was just a lost cause. And at the time, I I was still pretty creative in my preaching, and I talked about sin as kind of... They, and and not just sin, but the sin of not forgiving others. It's kind of like that gooey stuff, holding a grudge, holding a grudge sticks to you, and it's awful hard to get rid of once you let it set. And from then on, those people at the church talked about the we need another bucket of grudge. You know, they kind of got a new term for that that adhesive. But it's like that, you know. It's not just the person that we fail to forgive who suffers. You and I suffer too. We're carrying around that weight on our shoulders or that sticky grudge on our clothing and fingers. Jesus wants us to be free. Jesus wants us to to be as happy as God ever intended us to be. And the only way to do that is to be in a right relationship with others. 
to forgive, even as we have been forgiven. But just to get their attention, he said, you know, the thing is, if you want God to forgive your sins, you better forgive others. Because he's only going to forgive your sins to the extent that you forgive others. And we pray that every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses only to the extent that we forgive others their trespasses against us. Did you ever think about it that way? It's a way to remember that God has forgiven us a whole lot. Just like that that, uh, person that forgave the debt of that slave. God has forgiven us an awful lot. Compared to what he's forgiven us, it should be an easy thing to forgive one another. In his book uh, called And the Angels Were Silent, Max Lucado, Lucado, how does he pronounce his name? Just always call him Max, the wonderful Christian writer. Uh, he talked about a time when he was at a terminal of the Los Angeles airport, and, and he had just come back from speaking at some religious conference. And he said he wrote this, As I walked through the terminal, a convert of an Eastern religious cult caught my attention. We would all recognize the type, beads, Shaved head, sandals, frozen smile, backpack full of books. Well, he was approached by a lady who hadn't shaved her head, but she had all the other vestiges of that Buddhist cult. And she said, Sir, sir, just a moment, please. And he said, he wrote, Well, I had a moment. I was early and my plane was late, so what was the harm? And she said she was a teacher and that her school was celebrating an anniversary. In honor of the event, they were giving away a book which explained their philosophy. How generous, I thought. She placed a copy in my hand. It was a thick, hardback book with a picture on the cover of a guru-type guy sitting cross-legged with his hands folded. I thanked her for the book and started to walk away. Sir... I stopped. I knew what was coming. Would you like to make a donation to our school? No, I responded, but thanks for the book. Once again, I began to walk away. She followed me and tapped me on the shoulder. Sir, everyone so far has given a donation in appreciation for the gift. That's good, I replied, but I don't think I will. I do appreciate the gift, however. I turned and began to walk away. I hadn't even taken a step when she spoke again, and this time she was clearly agitated. Sir, she opened her purse so I could see her collection of dollars and coins. If you were sincere in your gratitude, you would give a donation in appreciation. Well, that was low. That was sneaky and insulting. I'm not normally terse, but now I couldn't resist. That may be true, I responded, but if you were sincere, you wouldn't give me a gift and then ask me to pay for it. She reached for the book, but I tucked it under my arm and walked away. Kind of makes me wish I could have been there to watch that. That would have been fun. Now, I, I know this never happens to any of you, 
But at our home, from time to time, actually a lot of times, we get telephone calls. And those telephone calls have to do with some stranger pretending they're really not very strange at all, wanting something out of us, trying to sell something, trying to get a donation, trying to give information. We kind of think of it as an intrusion, and we try to be really nice about it. Now, I know it's hard for you to relate to that because none of you get that kind of phone calls. I'm thinking maybe some of Do any of you get phone calls like that? <laughs> there you go. Sometimes it's kind of hard to be nice, and I've come up with a couple of, of ways to deal with it, and one is, oh, you can hear the chatter in the background, you know, like there are 40 or 50 other people on telephones trying to carry on conversations with other suckers like me. And, and one of the sneaky ploys they use is to call you by your first name, kind of like they're an old friend. And they'll say, Paul. And I've been known to say, hey, is that you, Bubba? Uh, no, this isn't Bubba, and, and I'll quickly say, oh, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong number. Click. <laughs> There's one that's been annoying us a lot lately, and I don't want to say his name, but you can ask me after church if you want. We've got caller ID, which doesn't always do a very good job since it says unknown or private, and you still don't know. And finally, I got angry after about the 20th time he had called, and I had said 19 times, no, I'm not interested, please don't call us again. And I said, listen, I've told you that I don't want to deal with you. I have nothing that I want to give to you or get from you, so please stop it. Otherwise, I will put a voodoo curse on you and turn your name into... The NSA. You could tell it was a foreign accent. And I um, didn't get any more phone calls for, gosh, it must have been a good three or four days. <laughs> That's when I want, got online and bought one of those phone call blocker devices, which sort of works. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. Sometimes it's hard to be nice. But when Jesus says, be nice, he's not saying be a sucker. He's not saying go ahead and give out information. Don't be afraid to spend money on stuff you don't need. No, but he is saying be kind to one another as you want God to be kind to you. Forgive one another. And I've decided that forgiveness is not always easy to do. In fact, sometimes you can't do it. I'm winding this up pretty quick in case you're still taking notes and running out of paper. Um, forgiveness doesn't mean so much feeling nice about someone that heretofore you felt really upset with, but forgiveness really means I'm not going to exact revenge on you. I'm not going to get back at you. Remember Maud, the TV show with B. Arthur? She was wonderful. She'd say to her husband, Arthur, God will get you for that. No, 
God doesn't get us for that. God forgives us, and we don't need to get back at other people, and it's in the not getting back at someone that we're really forgiving them. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm not going to make you suffer. I'm not going to like you. I'm not going to give you whatever you want, but I'm not going to exact revenge. And that in itself is putting forgiveness to work. What what would God do if God was not a forgiving God? He'd send you someplace you don't want to go, right? Kind of like Matamoros, you know, someplace that's dangerous. No, you don't have to worry about that because God has forgiven you. He's not holding it against you. And why doesn't he? Because he's God. He's your God. He's your heavenly Father who loves the dickens out of you. Maybe that's a good way to put it. He just loves the dickens out of you. All the sin is gone. And I think that's the best way to look at the gospel lesson today that I was almost going to preach on. I had some of the stuff here. And at which point I can, with all the love and forgiveness in my heart, say to you, Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.